Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail. Fears over catching COVID-19 have fallen to a record low in the U.S., according to a new Gallup poll. Factors contributing to the optimism include a drop in cases and improvements in vaccine rollout. We'll talk about the shift in fear as well as how to assess risk as California moves toward a full reopening. Then at 940, BART launched a community-led public awareness campaign last week called Not One More Girl, after a survey documented the sexual harassment young women and girls experience on public transit. We'll learn more about the campaign. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. According to a new Gallup poll, now only 35% of Americans are worried about getting COVID-19, down from 49% in February. Earlier this week, California Governor Gavin Newsom promised a full reopening by mid-June if the state can keep hospitalizations low and there is sufficient vaccine supply to give everyone 16 and over a shot who wants one. In this segment, we'll talk about the shift in COVID fear as well as how to assess risk. And we want to hear from you. How are you adjusting mentally or changing your behavior as reopening becomes imminent? How has your vaccination status affected your outlook? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And joining me now to talk about all this is Tim Harford, senior columnist with the Financial Times and author of The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. Welcome to Forum, Tim Harford. Well, thanks very much. It's great to be joining you. And we also have Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, joining us. Good morning, Dr. Peter Chin Hong. Morning, Ariana. So great to be back on. Yes, great to have you back with us. And Tim Harford, I'm going to start with you. What's your response to the latest poll on how Americans' fears of catching COVID have changed? Well, I'm glad to see that people are feeling more optimistic because the data suggests that we should be more optimistic. One of the questions I always ask in my book is, you know, what's really being asked? What's really being measured? And I'm not really sure exactly what this poll is measuring. Is it measuring people's fear of dying of COVID? Is it measuring people's fear of catching COVID? Is it measure? I mean, I know what the question is, but what people really mean when they answer is not clear. But as I think people need to continue to be careful 
but the news is good and there is a lot of reason for optimism and and I'm glad to see that people are getting that message. Yes, and Dr. Peter Chin Hong, what's your reaction to the poll? I know some experts are warning that we shouldn't become too complacent. President Biden gave a very earnest warning this week that seeing the end in sight is not the same as the finish line. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I think the results of the poll really reflects what the mood is in the community, which may not necessarily be in step with what's emerging. But I think it's it's um, completely what I expected, uh, meaning that there's a age uh, stratification. So in the oldest age groups where vaccine has really uh, penetrated the most, that's uh, they're probably the least fearful of catching the virus, most optimistic, and then the younger individuals a little uh, more even keeled. And, you know, a carrot has been dangled now in California, the June 15th full reopening date if we stay on track with low cases and decreased hospitalizations. Uh, yesterday, your colleague at UCSF, Dr. George Rutherford, was on with Mina Kim and highlighted that we have less than 2,000 people hospitalized in California and that number's dropping. How are you feeling about the state of the pandemic and cases right now here locally and nationwide from your infectious disease specialist standpoint? So if I look at the cases in California and certainly in the Bay Area, the sun is definitely shining. I feel excited. I feel warm and basking in the sun. We just had three ICU admissions in the in San Francisco over the weekend, which was the lowest we've ever been ever. One of those was at UCSF. But, you know, I'm looking at the COVID weather in other parts of the country. I'm looking at the rise of the variants. Uh, I've seen what happened in other parts of the world like where Tim is in the UK and something what's happening in Europe now with B117. I'm just feeling a little bit worried about the future, but I'm, I'm certainly in California feeling good. And science journalist Faye Flam said in a Bloomberg opinion piece this week, quote, there can be a social ending to pandemics while the biological risk still lurks. People just start to accept a certain risk and go on with their lives. Tim Harford, what are your thoughts on that assertion? Yes, we're. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Someone's decided to phone me. That, that's my. That's my producer from uh, from the BBC. We phoning to talk about the statistics. And you know what? I'm going to switch He's my competing, phone off. Competing, competing for your I'm attention right now. <laughs> I'm sounding like such an amateur. I do apologise. But um, so I, I've, I, I think what uh, uh, what Dr. Peter Chin Hong has has said about the variant is 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 really important. We we had that variant B one one seven in the UK um, late last year, and it spread quite widely late last year, and it hit us really hard. We thought we'd had the worst first wave anywhere in the world, and the second wave was worse, uh, despite the fact that people knew what to expect, despite the fact that people were being careful. It was really bad. But let me give you some hope. So we've, we've had a very aggressive vaccine rollout program. Um, we've prioritized first doses, which means obviously you're not fully vaccinated until you've had your second dose, but it does mean you're getting protection to twice as many people early on. And we've been able to very successfully prioritize the most vulnerable people in the community. And I'm looking at the deaths right now. So I know th the, the news has been good in the US. So since the beginning of the year, for every um, thousand people who were dying per day, at the beginning of the year in the US, we're now down to about 200 people per day. Um, so that's pretty good. But in the UK, for every, our deaths were twice as high at the beginning of the year. 
So for every thousand people dying in the UK, we're now down to maybe 20 people dying mm. every day. Um, so we've just had this unbelievable progress, despite the fact that that variant has been out there. It's everywhere in, in the UK. So the vaccines work. And what else works is people being careful. We've been in lockdown. People have been very careful looking out for each other. And it's really worked. So I, I would emphasize people need to be hopeful and optimistic. Things can get better, but they, they need to be responsible as well um, because the vaccines don't work by themselves until everybody has one. And and so that Dr. Peter Chin Hong, what should pe where should people be focusing their efforts now? In turn, you know, for the past year we've really been focused on stopping the spread. Um, where should we still be staying vigilant now? Well, I think um, staying vigilant in terms of uh, the things that we know we can do, like something simple as mask wearing, I think is an important strategy. It's cheap. It's uh, easily implemented. Um, I think the strategy is really, and the mindset is really to think that vaccinations is a powerful tool, but it's not the only tool we have. And, you know, we layer some of these other protections uh, together with, with vaccinations. Um, so, you know, I, I think my advice is really simple at the onset, which is to be hopeful, like Tim says, be optimistic, but to not let your guard down. Um, you don't turn on the light switch as in, uh, what Governor Newsom had said early on in the pandemic, you just basically um, take all the precautions you can and uh, live your fullest life, uh, get to that life that you aspire to. And a reminder that our listeners can join us and ask your questions. How are you, and also share your experiences, how are you adjusting mentally as reopening becomes imminent? And how have you changed your behavior? How has your vaccination status affected your outlook? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And Alan writes, I'm in my 70s and vaccinated. I have scheduled a number of overdue up close and personal medical diagnostic procedures that I have deferred over the past year. I do this with a bit of trepidation. With this exception, I intend to continue masking and distancing until we know more about how the vaccines fare against the variants. So Dr. Chin Hong, sounding like he's in line with some of the advice that you're, you're giving. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, First, for two reasons. First of all, um, we know that the vaccine has generally worked in California, given uh, the decline in hospitalizations, despite the California variant and some of the other variants. Uh, as Tim said, it generally works well against the B117 variant. And then number two is that the hospital is a very safe place to be. It always has been in general uh, during much of the pandemic because we have in universal masking They've done a really good job of keeping the hospital as safe a place, if not the safest place to be in, ironically, in, in, in the community. And is there a risk in putting off medical procedures at this point? Do you think it's better for people to, to be moving ahead if they are vaccinated, if they're feeling that, that level of safety? Definitely. I would not put off any medical procedures. Uh, I think people have deferred those for so long over the last year. And now is the time to catch up. 
And Tim Harford, can you talk a bit about how people, mostly non-scientists, are able to assess and navigate risk in our kind of COVID data-driven world right now? Yeah, one of the points that I try to make strongly in my book is that everybody can reason uh, in a straightforward way about the statistics, about the claims that are being made, um, but you don't need to keep it overcomplicated. Uh, find sources that are trustworthy, you know, listen to doctors, listen to, listen to public health professionals, examine your own emotional reactions. I mean, wishful thinking is so powerful. The things that we want to be true, um, politics are so powerful. You see just how polarized issues such as mask wearing can become. Um, so observe your own emotional reaction and try not to get your emo let your emotions uh, run away with you. And then the other thing is just to to try to get a sense of the overall proportions of the risk. I mean, COVID has at times been killing thousands of people a day. That's a very big number. Um, it has also faded a lot with uh, lockdowns, increased vigilance, and with the vaccine. So you can say, look, the risk is now on a typical day in a typical part of the United States, the risk is about 80% lower than it used to be. Um, and that's because people are being vaccinated and are being careful. So we can, inter we can interpret these data. We don't need uh, medical degrees. But at the same time, uh, if, you know, if a doctor gives me advice, I'm going to listen to the doctor rather than say, well, hang on, I, I saw something on Facebook and I'm going to trust that instead. We're talking about a new poll finding that Americans' fears over catching COVID-19 has dropped to a record low we're talking with Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, and Tim Harford, senior columnist with the Financial Times and author of The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. And you, our listeners, give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can also email your questions and thoughts to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more with our discussion after the break. I'm Ariana Prail. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We're talking about a new poll finding that Americans' fears over catching COVID-19 have dropped to a record low. I'm talking with Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist with UCSF Medical Center, and Tim Harford, senior columnist with the Financial Times and author of The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. And let's go to a call. Daniel in San Francisco, you're on. Hi, I, I think I've got a question for the expert. So um, I perfectly agree with the UK expert here um, that we really don't know what the question is about, whether we are uh, people are confident about not catching the virus itself or people feel confident 
you know, performing actions that would facilitate the spread, further spread and cultivation of new variants. Because we know about COVID right now, if that's one thing we know about COVID right now, it's it's perfectly capable of producing more deadly and uh, contagious variants. I was wondering, like, do we have more data or do we have more, do we have a better idea um, how this rise of confidence would affect you know, the rise of new variants and maybe a prolonged um, pandemic. Dr. Peter Chin Hong? That's a great question, Daniel. I think uh, from a health professional perspective, we are going to continue to see variants as long as there's transmission. And until we break the cycle of transmission, uh, we are not going to be uh, immune from variants. Uh, and that really makes me think about not just vaccine equity in the United States as a silo, but vaccine equity globally, because as long as there are hotspots of COVID around the world, we're going to see variants. And today we know about the marquee variants like B117 and the California variant. But what's, what about the variants of tomorrow? I think that that specter is something we need to always be cognizant of. So until we break that cycle of transmission, which requires multiple interventions, we're not really going to make headway against variants. And this listener, Holly, writes, the opening cannot be anything but political. It is nuts to reopen when we are still getting enough people vaccinated, including farm workers and other BIPOC populations who are hesitant or refuse to be vaccinated. And then the British variant is spreading rapidly. It may be true that on average rates are down in California, but people are letting their guard down. And there are many people out there who I encounter daily who refuse to wear a mask and others who wear them below their nose or on their chin. Let's get money to people and businesses who need it and stay closed until it actually is safe. Um, first, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, what would you say to Holly? And then Tim Harford, I'll get your take as well. So I think Holly makes a lot of good points, which is you can take optimism and use it uh, productively, which is, you know, you go along with work, you are, you're hopeful about the future. Uh, you know, you get that life that you wanted to get uh, like you were in 2019, but it's not 2019 and um, you can still be optimistic, but yet not let your guard down. And yes, I am worried about um, what's been happening in, in Michigan and Minnesota and some parts of the Northeast now in the face of vaccinations with uh, B117, because there, there, are, there are still a group of people who are not vaccinated. And I think for an unvaccinated individual, uh, April of 2021 is very different from April of 2020. And Tim Harford, she did bring up kind of some of the, the politics around it, which I know you, you touched on before the break. And we are kind of seeing varying um, reactions or kind of feelings about things depending on political affiliation. Can you talk more about that? I believe there was a study, too, that, that showed that um, conservatives are kind of less concerned and sometimes uh, the more liberal you are, maybe the more concerned you are. Can you speak to yeah. that? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because politics just makes us all stupid. We, you know, we've, we find it very hard to reason clearly about any subject once it becomes a, an issue of sort of political tribal affiliation. Uh, it's interesting from, from my point of view in the UK, of course, we have our own political tribes, but they're not quite the same as the ones you have in the US, different parties. 
And so there are certain things that I um, I see for, as an outsider that, that strike me as unusual. For example, um, the emphasis on wearing masks even outdoors um, is a is not something we generally do in the UK. It's not a political issue. Maybe we're all wrong. I mean, we may all be doing it wrong, but it's it's intriguing to me to see that from an external viewpoint, whereas in the US, there seems to be very much this divide between masks, you know, double masks all the time, everywhere, and, uh, you know, no, nobody's going to mask me up. It It's... We humans are political animals, and politics influences a great deal of of, of where, how we see the world. As far as opening up is concerned, I think it's just important to understand that there are real costs to lockdowns, and I'm I'm all in favour of lockdowns to control this virus. Um, but they take a real toll. They take a hot toll on people's mental health. They make people anxious about, um, for example, as we heard from another listener. Uh, going to to have medical procedures, they destroy jobs, and just the joy of just being alive, getting getting to hug your friends, getting to see family, that all matters as well. And so uh, this is why the vaccination rollout is so important. If you can target vaccines to the most vulnerable people um, combined with lockdowns, this can all be over quite quickly. Uh, and, and, And we have to see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, rather than just, well, well, we'll be locked down until Christmas. Well, Tracy asked, why keep a mask on when alone on a suburban residential sidewalk? Kind of getting to that. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, can you talk about outdoor spread and the science of this? Yeah, so, you know, I think Tracy is right to sense if you're jogging an ocean beach in San Francisco or walking the Golden Gate Park or on a horse farm in Mendocino, there's no reason to wear a mask if there's nobody else around because you're probably not going to get it from the butterflies flitting by you. But I think it's all context dependent. And that's where you get to that battle between a public health recommendation and a nuanced context dependent uh, activity. So I think, you know, it's sometimes hard for people to do risk assessment on their own. And that's where we were early in the pandemic. But at this point, I think everybody on the street, even a five-year-old probably knows the science now of basic transmission of COVID. So I think people can make their risk assessments. The CDC did uh, put the onus on us to make risk assessments in the most recent recommendation about vaccinated people in one household, uh, you know, uh, being unprotected with somebody who's not vaccinated. Um, So I think you're right. I think um, Tracy is right. The risk is very different in different situations, even while outdoors. It's different, for example, if you're on Valencia Street with a bunch of tables crowded together, it's outdoors, but a lot of noses and mouths are together for a prolonged period. All right. Well, let's go to caller Kathy in San Francisco. Kathy, you're on. Hi. Um, welcome. So um, I have two questions and two points. Um, it seems like we're all getting vaccinated now during the spring. We know a lot about the virus now. The summer will probably be relatively low. The efficacy of the vir- or the vaccine we know lasts about six months, which means predominantly most of us for the fall will maybe it will be waning on us. And also the whole job of a virus is to have a host. 
So now the entire adult population pretty much will be vaccinated, but none of our children will be. And we want them back in school. Everyone's forcing them to be back in school in September, which me as a teacher and someone that works in public health knows that that is the most dangerous time for everyone with flus and colds and everything. And now they will be the new, they will be the new hosts for our children. And what is our plan going forth for that? Also, I do know um, I have not many, but I do know two, two children that have the MISC that have had that and that they might have heart conditions, you know, in the future. I also know children that have had the virus that have been fine. But what is the plan for that? Because the only focus seems to be adults and that the children seem to still just be guinea pigs and eh, who cares if they're in school and they get sick. But that will also affect our overall population as the uh, vaccine starts to wane on our bodies. Thank you. So, yeah, thanks for your... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so sorry to interrupt. Um, Tim Harford, yeah. So, yeah, so what, one of the joys uh, of, of being a journalist is I, I get to talk to smart people about vaccines and I've been presenting the BBC radio programme for the far, past four months called How to Vaccinate the World, um, which has been a real pleasure. And one of the things that the experts keep telling me is that um, there is no reason in theory not to vaccinate children. Um, the, the risk to children of the virus is much lower, but they can still spread it and they can still be hosts for it. And so the aim, I think, in the long term will be to uh, develop a vaccine, uh, test it on children and make sure that it's safe for children. And, and those, I know the Pfizer vaccine, for example, is being tested on teenagers right now. Um, remember, we vaccinate a lot of kids for a lot of diseases. So I think the long-term game is hopefully to find a safe vaccine that will protect everybody, not just adults. Um, we just don't have it proven yet, and, and that's coming. And who knows, we, we may have one by September, uh, I would hope. Yeah, on a similar wavelength, Aaron writes, can your guests talk about optimism for parents of small children? I have a six-year-old and he is now back in school in Berkeley. I've had one dose of vac vaccination, but until my son is vaccinated, our life remains very restricted. Can your guests offer any suggestions for how to move forward with our lives while we wait for vaccinations for children? Dr. Peter Hong, I don't know if you wanted to chime in on, on this conversation from Kathy's call and also Aaron's comment. Yeah, so um, both the Kathy and and Erin, I think it's really, you know, I think it's tough. You know, the vaccinations, as Tim had pointed out, were ruled out in a very um, deliberate way, really addressing the highest risk populations first, those who are going to be hospitalized. But it doesn't mean that the ones that are not vaccinated have zero risk of hospitalization and death. It's just really a relative issue and, and where, where things, where the biggest bang for the buck is essentially given the limited resources. So in terms of, of how to deal with this, I think you have to do the best you can. We do know from the current data that risk is not zero, but it's much, much lower the younger you are. Uh, certainly if you're under 12, the risk is substantially lower. So I think um, that is kind of what, how I frame it. So that means that if you add protection to that individual, if, if at all possible, that risk is going to be low. You know, life is not a zero-one sum game. So I think one takes a little bit uh, of risk. And I think the benefits of some individuals in going back to school is, is, particularly in that age group, is going to be higher. So I think these are the difficult risk-benefit calculations we have to make as a society, as a community. And it may be different for different people. 
Yes, I, I oh, think school is, is so incredibly important for the children, um, not just their formal education, but the, the bonding, the, the friendships. Uh, my children were off school uh, from April through June, and then they were off school again, January and February, and they've been back in March. And I've really seen the difference. I can see they're just, there's more of a spring in their step. Their mental health is better. Now, I've not been vaccinated because we're very strict. Uh, in the UK, we've done a lot of vaccinations, but it's in age order and I'm still young. So I've not been vaccinated yet. And um, that it may be a few weeks before I am. So I just have to take my chances. I'm not worried about my children getting COVID. The risk to children is, is not zero, but it's very low. Um, there are almost no examples in the UK of a child dying of COVID who did not already have a serious health condition. Um, but there is a risk that my children might get COVID and give it to me. And I'm 47, it's probably fine, but it might not be. In the end, you have to weigh up your chances. Nothing in life is free of risk. I cycle to school with my son in the morning. We could get killed cycling to school. There's a risk. Um, but at the point where you say, okay, the risk is manageable. And I'm very happy for him to go to school. Um, it's, it's to his benefit. There are other risks, for example, bringing my son into a house with my father that I, I'm not willing to take, not until my father's got a second dose of vaccine, not, in, you know, not until the prevalence around is, is much lower. Um, but there's no such thing as zero risk. There'll always be some risk and you have to decide what's worth taking a risk in order to, to preserve and enjoy. Well, Billy asks, if a senior adult who is fully vaccinated was exposed to someone who tested positive about a week ago, can, um, can they safely go out in public, albeit with a mask? Dr. Peter Chen Hong. Yes, yeah, so right now, uh, given the CDC guidance, uh, if a vaccinated person who's been fully vaccinated, that is two weeks after the second shot in the two-shot series, uh, has been exposed to someone with COVID, uh, you don't need to... Uh, quarantine uh, anymore. Uh, so that's really speaking to the behaviors after. So that person who's been exposed, who's fully vaccinated, can just go about out of the household with a mask on and it's going to be fine. Right. And uh, Tim Harford, we weren't this is something that's been on my mind. We weren't always getting you know, straight information from the government here in the US. And there's a new administration in the office that is firm in its support of science and scientific evidence. But for some, the damage is done in terms of which information to trust. How does that impact the way people act and will assess risk in your opinion? Yes, we take, we take cues on risk and cues on science from people we trust. And uh, everybody trusts scientists. It's a question of which scientists you trust, and you, know, you might have a very odd choice of scientists. You know, the expert that I trust, the scientist I trust, is some guy with a YouTube channel, rather than uh, an expert in epidemiology. So there's a real risk here. Um, there's a real cost, and I and I note that a lot of male Republican supporters seem to think they don't need to be vaccinated. Um, and I hope that people will be persuaded as they see the benefits of vaccination, as they see people around them being vaccinated. And the vaccines, are, they're very, very effective. They're very safe. They're re Every expert in vaccines is incredibly surprised at just how good these particular vaccines are. I, I really hope that, that we'll see that hesitancy go away. Um, 
because I mean, people always say there's no silver bullet, but you know, these vaccines, they're pretty close to a silver bullet. People can be persuaded to take them. So I'm, I'm hopeful on that. Uh, people will see the benefits. Um, they'll see freedom coming back. And the vaccines are a really big part of that. And Dr. Peter Chin Hong, and to, to close us out in, you know, we, we spoke before about, you know, infections are rising in some parts of the country. But how worried should we be if California sees a spike in infections? And should the focus be on hospitalizations or infections? Uh, yeah, these are really uh, complex um, questions. And I think the public health leaders, the political administration don't really know that answer yet based on what's happening in the rest of the country. But right now where we are in California, I think it's appropriate to have that aspirational date of reopening. Once we realize that we, we need to have growth mindset and be flexible and if things change, uh, we have to be willing to change. So whether or not it's going to be hospitalization in young adults uh, as we've been seeing in Michigan or Minnesota, or is it going to be you know, some lower threshold for, for hospitalizations in, a, in in another part of the of the community um, that needs to be said or vaccination rates or vaccination rollout. Um, but whatever we need to do, uh, you know, I've, I've been totally humbled by this virus every single day. Every time I think I know what's going on, everything is changing. And, and what's happening right now in the Midwest is, is shocking to me, actually. But hopefully we'll remain uh, golden and sunshiny in California and optimistic. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, and Tim Harford, senior columnist with the Financial Times, author of The Data Detective, 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks to our listeners for your questions and comments. We'll have more Forum after the break. I'm Ariana Prail. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.